0: I'm a big believer in this is it. This is our life and we have to make it count and you know what makes us happy in our everyday life and in the longer term is really important.
1: Hello again and welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast. This is where we explore the science and stories behind human longevity.
0: This episode is brought to you in association with Juvicel, the all-in-one longevity supplement that contains 10 key ingredients shown to have a positive impact on healthspan, as validated by scientific studies. To find out more, visit juvicel.com. That's J-U-V-I-C-E-L-L.com.
1: Today we're going to dive into some of the science and research, as it happens, research going on here in Los Angeles, into the biological mechanisms of ageing, which the better we understand, the more likely we are able to develop interventions and preventative strategies to mitigate the downsides of getting old, the cognitive and physical decline that comes with aging. My guest is Dr. David Walker, professor in the Department of Integrative Biology and Physiology at UCLA, the University of California, Los Angeles. Dr. Walker, welcome to the Live Long and Master Aging podcast.
0: Great to be here and wonderful to to meet you and I'm looking forward to this discussion.
1: Me too. Uh, we are, as I mentioned, in the same city. We're doing this remotely, which is a little bit frustrating. It's necessary because the times that we're going through. How has the pandemic, the past year, how has it affected you and your work?
0: You know, there, there, of course, there have been a lot of challenges. You know, we sh- the lab was shut down from mid-March until June. And then we slowly uh, ramped up and we're, you know, we're making progress, but, you know, it's, it, it's, it's been lots of challenges. But I start to see the light at the end of the tunnel. I start to, you know, regain some optimism and I think things are, are starting to go finally in the right direction and, and hopefully we can, you know, put a lot of this behind us.
1: Yeah, I totally agree with you. So let's uh, talk about uh, your background initially. And uh, actually, before we delve into that, just for full disclosure, this podcast, as we've just mentioned, is supported by Juvisel. You're a part of the scientific advisory board for Juvisel, aren't you?
0: Yeah, that's right. That's relatively recent happening. It's something that's just happened within the last uh, few months, but something I'm, I'm excited to be involved in.
1: Okay, so let's talk about your work. And uh, I know you've been on quite a journey in terms of your education and uh, at least one place that you've studied in leapt out at me, Manchester in northwest England, which is uh, a city that I know quite well.
0: Oh, interesting, interesting. Yeah, so e- even before, I'll, I'll, I'll give the you know, short but full history. I grew up in Belfast in the north of Ireland in the you know the, the 80s, really, and did my undergrad degree at, at Queen's University, Belfast, undergrad degree in genetics and really just became fascinated by by genetics and how we can both, you know, better understand mechanisms of disease and and even, you know, behavior and many different things. And then after completing that degree, yeah, I was interested to A, study for a PhD and B, get out of Northern Ireland at, at, at that time. And I was and remain a f- big fan of Manchester United, and that was not. <laughs> that was you know part of the, it. Wasn't the the only reason, but um, I, I looked around and got accepted in a few programs. You know, mainly in Scotland and, and and England and Manchester United. Um, the the Manchester music scene was was really really buzzing at at that time. And also Manchester has, you know, a couple of great universities and it's a great, great university town. It's a very, fairly diverse, you know, in- English city, probably second only to London, right? I did uh, a master's degree and also my PhD there.
1: So then you eventually moved to California.
0: Yep. So maybe... Um, Four or five years of, you know, grey skies and, and rain and, you know, Manchester United had, had just won the, the treble. So I don't, I don't know what, what was left to do after that. So.
1: And, and, and the weather gets to everyone eventually.
0: E- eventually, eventually. You know, I was always going to do a, a postdoc and it coincided. I read a book um, called Time, Love and Memory, which it wasn't an autobiography, but it was a biography of Seymour Benzer who was, you know, really one of the giants of, you know, biology of the last, you know, 60, 70 years. And he had just started getting interested in aging research. So my own PhD work was also on aging. And I, I studied aging in a tiny microscopic nematode worm, which is, is a great genetic model to this day. And Seymour Benzer had started getting interested in studying aging in a different invertebrate model, the fruit fly drosophila. And like I say, I recently read, just out of interest, not, I didn't think it would have anything to do, impact my career in any way, uh, but a great biography of Benzer, Time, Love and Memory. And he was based at Caltech, which is in Pasadena, you know, is still technically in the same city that, that we're both in. Uh, today. And, you know, of course, I'd heard of, you know, Stanford and MIT and Harvard, and, you know, and all these other great American universities. But actually, for whatever reason, Caltech, I, I knew of Richard Feynman, of course. But for, for whatever reason, I wasn't quite as familiar. I couldn't even, I had to look it up where exactly it was on the map. But I became, and uh, I wrote to, to, to Seymour and the, to and the rest is history i guess so i ended up going on to do my phd but postdoc postdoc sorry in uh, the early 2000s in in caltech
1: and you mentioned nematode worms and fruit flies uh, drosophila they have the same attraction in large part because of their short lifespan
0: yeah that's right i mean i'm perhaps somewhat biased because those are the two model organisms i've focused on in my in my career but The vast majority of our understanding of the basic biological mechanisms of aging have come primarily through discoveries in those two model organisms. Of course, a lot of that work has been built upon and validated in in rodent models and other mammalian models, but the initial discoveries of which genes, which pathways, initially came out of almost entirely out of research in those two invertebrate uh, genetic models
1: so, after initially starting studying genetics, you became increasingly interested and fascinated by the aging process. Has your understanding of what aging is, let's say a definition of aging, has that evolved over the time that you've been studying it?
0: Yes, for sure, for sure. So, I started uh, studying, thinking about aging in in the mid nineteen nineties, so twenty five years ago, and you know, it would be stated now, as many of us still do today, that aging is a great scientific mystery. Um, there's there's a lot of mysteries to aging today, but back then that was not hyperbole. That was, you know, it, we really didn't know almost anything about what was aging at a cellular level, you know, which changes that occur actually drive age-related health decline. And um Really, it's been in the last, I would argue, 10 years that our understanding of what really is driving aging at a cellular level has, has really um, a- increased. Now, now, people still argue, um, there, there are those that still argue that um, aging may not be a, a damage accumulation hypothesis. Um, I think the evidence is pretty good that the accumulation of um, damage to cellular components, proteins, lipids, organelles, does drive the aging process. Some people would still um, argue against that. But I think it's it's pretty compelling at this stage. And is it
1: fair then to say that the focus of your work is on looking for potential interventions uh, that could mitigate the effects of that damage and the as i mentioned it earlier the the negative effects of of getting old the physical decline and the mental decline as well
0: yes absolutely absolutely and 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 speaking of you know sort of evolutions in in my own career and in my own way of thinking about this you know when i was a you know studying for a PhD or you know even even a little later you know when when you're in your, when I was in my 20s it really i really did think of it as a purely academic problem a purely curiosity driven program because perhaps you know you know, at that stage of your life you're not quite as focused upon age related health decline um, and and it's not so much as if the strategies change, because to understand aging at a cellular level, cellular level, I would still argue you do have to intervene. There's a limit to how much we can really um, learn by simply measuring what changes with age. You're always going to come up against the problem of whatever you see change. How do you know that's not a Correlative aging or a consequence of aging. When you intervene using genetics or, or small compounds or diet or whatever, then you're, that that gives confidence that whatever you're studying, whatever you know molecule, gene, you know pathway that you're manipulating is causally or mechanistically involved in the aging process. So, yes, absolutely, a major focus of our work to this day is not only to understand what changes take place with age, but to try and develop novel ways, primarily using genes, but we we can discuss um, other approaches we're more recently taking, but um, to to prevent those changes from taking place and prevent age-related health decline.
1: And just a a little aside, you mentioned that uh, perhaps when we are younger, we don't really think about ageing as much, or perhaps even as... At all, because there is perhaps that sense that we are you know so far away from being very old that it's something we don't need to concern ourselves with and one thing I always try to get across to people who are significantly younger is that perhaps we would all be better off if we did start thinking about aging much much earlier in our lives
0: yeah I mean we, we of course we 're familiar with it through you know our parents and certainly our grandparents so it 's not something we 're oblivious to but I think there's very much when you're young, there's sort of an inevitab- inevitability about it or a sort of normalness about it um, that I, I think, you know, now some of us are starting to, to challenge this concept of it. Does, does it, you know, really have to, do we have to, you know, lose, as you, as you say, our physical or mental capacities uh, so dramatically with chronological age? So let's
1: uh, dive in a little deeper into uh, the work that you're doing in terms of, of cells and, and cell health. What what is the main focus?
0: Yeah, so for the most part, I've sort of taken an approach over my career, which is to let the data drive the the hypothesis. So not so. So some people may say or I'm going to say telomeres are important for aging or uh, free radicals are important for aging and then go after, you know, genes or, or, or compounds that, that alter. We've been fairly broad and open-minded as which, um, appro- which genes and, and approaches. And we've even earlier in my career done unbiased genetic screens. But in the last five or six years, the data has been telling us that the accumulation of dysfunctional mitochondria seems to be a really, really important cellular hallmark of aging. Now, of course, that's not something that that my lab has discovered. The idea that um, mitochondria become less efficient, less effective with age has, has been around, frankly, for decades. But there were a lot of unknowns. And a lot of speculation as to you know, how that occurs, can we prevent it from occurring, and, and what um, what are the consequences of that. And in the last um, decade, I would say, we've really started to focus on a cellular pathway that recognizes and removes dysfunctional mitochondria. And that has proven quite fruitful for us. We, we've identified now a number of interventions that we can uh, target that, that pathway. So the pathway is called the pathway of mitochondrial autophagy. And I, I don't know if... Um, I should back up and explain what we think autophagy is?
1: I think it's always good to explain that. We have covered autophagy and mitophagy quite a lot on the podcast, but I think it's always good just to repeat. I I usually describe it as the way that our body gets rid of cells that are perhaps past their cell-by date, not quite working properly. It's uh, cells eating cells to regenerate and uh, to come out of the end of it stronger.
0: Yeah, actually recycling the, the components within a cell the proteins, the, the organelles, the lipids, and, and it was a, a pathway that was initially uh, thought to be uh, very important under nutrient de- deprived conditions, under starvation conditions, but it, it turns out it seems to be very important, as you just said, for sort of maintaining general cellular health. So, I mean, one very perhaps overly simplistic way of thinking about it is as kind of like a, a garbage disposal or a recycling unit w- within our cells. And yeah, so, so we've become, yeah, in the last 10 years, uh, focused on developing primarily again genetic interventions, but we have more recently got into uh, looking for small compounds that could activate this pathway to, um, get rid of those damaged mitochondria that accumulate with age. So again, this the idea that this damaged mitochondria are present in old organisms to a greater degree than in young organisms isn't a novel um, idea. It's been around for, for a long time. But the question of why does that happen? And so increasingly, I think we can build the argument that one of the, the major reasons is that this pathway, it's not that the mitochondria aren't getting damaged in a young animal. I think they are. But the machinery that removes the damaged mitochondria is functional and active when we're young. And as we age, the mitochondria continue to be damaged. But the machinery that recognizes those damaged mitochondria and targets them for degradation starts to decline in its function and activity. And that's perhaps why the dysfunctional mitochondria accumulate with with age.
1: And this is a a pathway, I'm assuming here, this is a pathway that operates in different ways according to individuals. So we're not all the same. We're not all ageing in the same way. And perhaps it explains why... Maybe it doesn't explain, but uh, it's it's a fact that some of us will age better and the physical decline and mental decline will be slower in some individuals than others.
0: I think you're absolutely right. And I think we can all see that uh, around us. And in people, of course, it's extremely challenging to try and, you know, figure that out. Is that due to changes, differences in diet? differences in lifestyle, socioeconomic conditions, many, many different factors at play. But as you may know, um, even under laboratory conditions, uh, fruit flies and and nematode worms that we try and keep under as close to identical conditions as we possibly can, meaning they all eat the same diet, they're all kept at exactly the same temperature, humidity, etc. Even there, there's a a large degree of individual variability in certainly lifespan. And we're starting to to think in in the rate of aging. And that actually brings us to another major focus of the lab, uh, which we're we're, we're interested in trying to understand, um, as I just said, aging at a cellular level. But we're also fascinated by the pathophysiology of aging. How do age-related changes that affect organ function relate to the health and viability of the aging organism? And so, again, that individual variability in rate of aging is not, certainly not unique to people. It is something that is occurs under tightly controlled laboratory conditions in fruit flies, for example. And again, around 10 years ago, Uh, we made an observation that that I think helps us understand this a little bit better. And that relates um, to an important uh, pathophysiological change that occurs with aging. And that is the loss of the function of the intestinal barrier. So that that is something that um, we've been studying, again, in in flies for around uh, 10 years now. And we find Uh, that that's very important in terms of the health of of the fly. And since uh, we reported those findings in in Drosophila, we're uh, very intrigued to see that many other groups now are reporting that loss of intestinal barrier function is a critical pathophysiological hallmark of aging in in, in worms, in fish, in rodents, in non-human primates, and even even it would seem in, 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 in people.
1: This is leaky intestines.
0: Yeah, so 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 that's right. That was something we didn't think didn't certainly didn't set out to study. It was one of those serendipitous uh, discoveries where uh, we were measuring feeding behavior in Drosophila, and one of the ways you can do that is by feeding them a dye, a non-absorbable dye, a dye that uh, typically doesn't cross the intestinal. Uh, barrier and uh, we, we find that every so often you would see a very old fly where the dye would leak out of the gut. And th- this, this provided us an approach because it's a non-invasive assay, you know, like they say at the end of the, the movies, no animals are harmed during the making of, of this movie, no, no animals are harmed during this, this assay. So we can actually measure other aspects of aging upon visualizing the loss of intestinal barrier function. And so now we, we've 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 linked this to many systemic markers of aging, including including inflammation and metabolic decay. And and critically it seems to be a harbinger or predictor of, of mortality. Um, it certainly seems to be an evolutionarily conserved hallmark of aging, meaning that it's something that isn't unique to fruit flies and isn't even unique to invertebrates, but something um, that becomes a problem with age. And again, another sort of pathophysiological hallmark of aging, of course, ha, ha, that's been fairly well documented, especially in people, is o- overactivity of the immune response, inflammation. And as, as as we all know, inflammation is also linked to a, a, a fairly broad range of age onset diseases, including many neurodegenerative diseases. And again, one of the the mysteries there had always been what is driving this age onset activation of of the immune response? And again, in Drosophila at least, although um, others have uh, validated this work at least in rodents and and there's a number of studies in non-human primates as well to say that the leaky gut and perhaps changes within the population of bacteria that live within the gut seem to be an important factor that drive age onset uh, inflammation and again that provides not just understanding of 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 this important hallmark of aging but perhaps gives us hope as to a potential way again to intervene and if we could delay or or even prevent age-onset inflammation, I think the, the, the benefits to, to health would be enormous.
1: Which is why, uh, obviously, diet is so important in, in terms of the makeup of the different foods that we eat. But I just wanted to go back to you talking about the, the variability of, of of how we all progress in our, mm. our lives and, and the, the pathways and the mechanisms involved, how we are all essentially very different in, in some respects. Maybe some of us are similar, but some of us are, are very different. And I guess that makes creating and delving into the science behind any interventions all the more complicated because you're not just focusing it on one type of individual we are a human race that's uh, very very different
0: yeah I, I, I agree very strongly i think as the field progresses and, and the field has made a lot of of progress that will become the next major challenge that it's entirely possible that some of the interventions that we all think about as being, you know, the 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 go-to, your best case pro longevity anti-aging intervention, will indeed be helpful for certain individuals, but may not be helpful for others. And so, I think you're right. I think there are many more questions about individual variability in lifespan than we have answers. Um, but. Our work in flies with the intestinal barrier has, has started to make me think about this, at least through that lens, because one important source of that variability could come from changes within the intestine and perhaps even changes that occur within the, the population of bacteria that live within the intestine. And some of that variability that we all know and recognize in individual variability, may actually have its origins within, certainly within the intestine and possibly within the the, the gut bacteria within the intestine.
1: And you're talking about the gut microbiome here, just one of the many microbiomes that exist within our body, which we're increasingly becoming aware of as being so uh, crucially important, really going to the heart of what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I- exactly. And again, th- this is, you know, a, a dynamic area of research. This is something that, you know, is changes in, in, in gut bacteria are being linked to many diseases, and potentially even linked to, to therapeutic interventions, um, one interesting observation and, and, and this is, again, this is not an observation unique to, to, to my lab. and um, others have reported this as well, is that if you remove the gut bacteria from a population of aging fruit flies, you actually re- typically reduce individual variability in longevity. What I mean by that is you sort of plateau the survival curve. And one way of interpreting that, of course, is, again, that that's consistent with the idea that a lot of the individual variability comes from changes in, 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 in gut bacteria. And so a number of years ago, um, we were able to show that one this loss of intestinal barrier function is actually one important uh, factor that seems to contribute to that is indeed changes in gut bacteria. And we could actually, pre- we could actually uh, document and observe that some of the changes in the gut bacteria occur before the loss of intestinal barrier function and are actually predictive again of loss of intestinal barrier function. So, so from these sorts of data, you can start to build a model of pathophysiology of aging, but also of how, therefore, individual variability could come about.
1: And so then it begs the question, and you can extrapolate that to what are we all doing that affects the variability of our gut environment? And, and it comes down to essentially what we are eating. If we're not involved in any other external interventions, what do we do to change things in our gut? Well, we change our diet. We modify our diet.
0: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I would I would agree and assume that a major factor that that alters the composition of our, our gut micro microbiota, as you say, is uh, what we eat. Um, and you know, I think this is being studied quite extensively, and there, there are a lot of studies on, on that in people. Um, I can perhaps speak most with mo- with most authority on Drosophila diets. And certainly what we see in Drosophila is um, high protein diets seem to be very bad news for the aging gut. So if we, and others have also reported this, uh, grow flies, age flies, when they're eating a low protein diet, this delays the the onset of this important uh, intestinal pathology that we're studying. In other words, Reduced protein intake maintains the gut barrier for longer and, and is also associated with a long, much longer and much healthier um, lifestyle. A- again, th- that's, that's in interest- Drosophila, but there is increasingly evidence, at least from rodent studies, that low-protein diets um, can, can be healthful, helpful for, the, for um, the aging organism and aging um, gut as well.
1: And of course, there are other aspects of longevity research. I'm thinking of the work of Walter Longo at uh, USC <laughs> yep. in terms of uh, low protein diets that support that theory in in human beings.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And again, I think the answers will be will be complicated, um, and and there may be other ways to achieve healthy aging. But but one way may be a, a low protein diet, and and there's even uh, recent data. In um, both in Drosophila and also mice, that just reducing certain amino acids in the diet can provide um, health benefits with age.
1: So, what is um, maybe just broadening this out a little bit? Then, what is your view of of supplementation? And the and I've talked to so many people about this. The challenges that we face in terms of how we can educate ourselves about what, if any, supplements are beneficial to us as individuals, just bearing in mind exactly what you've just said about us all being a little bit different and the variability of, uh, of what's happening inside our guts. I think there's an acknowledgement that none of us eat a, a perfect diet these days and that there are gaps to be filled and we can fill those gaps with,
0: with supplements. But uh, how do we make those decisions? I agree that it, it, it's a challenge. The good news is every week and certainly every month – we have more information, meaning that there are peer reviewed studies being published using model organisms uh, looking at some of these questions and we increasingly have a better understanding of again which cellular pathways may be important to uh, be able to modulate to to gain health benefits so um, you know many of the you know Many diet, you know, a lot of dietary advice. um, Let's just take the low protein diet, for example. To my knowledge, this has not been definitively proven, but a very reasonable hypothesis to to understand why would eating less protein perhaps promote longevity is that. Eating high levels of protein activate an important nutrient sensing pathway in our bodies called the the TOR pathway or the target of rapamycin pathway, and so I'm increasingly hopeful that we'll be able to make better informed decisions based upon a lot of th- this work um, that that's going on, you know, across many labs all throughout the all, all throughout the world, um, identifying pathways that are important to in the aging process. And if we can tie those pathways to perhaps supplements or new, nutraceuticals or, 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 or small molecules that can target those pathways, then I think that would increase our confidence that that might be an appropriate approach to take.
1: And as you say, there's new research all the time. I'm just curious in, in your own life, how do you apply your knowledge, your research, your findings over the years that you've been doing this to your lifestyle? Because, you know, we could wait five years, we could wait 10 years to maybe 20 or 50 years to get some of the questions, the big questions that we have fully answered, but we won't necessarily live that long. We've got to make decisions now and and next week. So I'm just curious how you live your life according to the science that you understand right now.
0: Yeah, so I do try and practice. What I would suggest is, is common sense lifestyle goals, you know, which you know, staying active in the last year has become increasingly <laughs> a challenge with the pandemic and and the associated restrictions. But staying physically active, certainly, I mean, I'm not aware of any, you know, many slash if any studies, you know, saying that being physically active is detrimental uh, for aging, trying to... And in fact, on,
1: on the contrary, there are plenty of studies that suggest it's it's, it's very beneficial to exactly. uh, counter it, the effects of aging here. Exactly,
0: exactly. And the interesting question, of course, is, again, w- through which cellular pathways? And that, again, I expect to be a growth industry in the next, you know, number of years trying to, to understand that. In terms of of diet, perhaps inspired by some of the studies in, in Drosophila saying low protein diets, I I don't eat a lot of meat. I don't eat a lot of um, red meat. I, I I I love eating, so it's not I'm not one of uh, these people who can you know easily you know restrict all dietary intake or anything like that. So, you know, try and eat a diet which is mainly plant based, mainly and probably almost as importantly not too much you know to not eat the quantity of what we eat as well as the quality is is going to matter um a lot but again without getting too philosophical um as i say i love to eat so i again i think the quality of life is very important as well as quantity of life and there's there's enormous social uh, benefits to eating together and you know, that, that's something uh, sharing, you know, sharing food with with others is one of the things that make uh, life meaningful and wonderful. And so it's not something I would ever want to to, to give up. So, you know, from time to time, I, I try and balance it out. If I, you know, eat a lot one day, maybe not so much the next day or go for a longer run the next day.
1: I'm just curious, in terms of your research with, uh, with Drosophila, fruit flies and, and nematodes before that, is there... Anything that you can say about cognitive ability as we grow older? Clearly, dementia is a huge and increasing issue for our populations right now, and uh, you know it all seems to come back to the gut in some in some respects. That I think there are certainly links between the the gut makeup and our um, mental ab- abilities. Uh, have you looked at anything like that?
0: Not yet in any great detail, but what I can tell you is a couple of things. So just as is the case as you just said in 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 us fruit flies become more forgetful as they get older and that is that's fairly well uh, documented the, and i think we're we're starting to understand in a more clear manner that perhaps the 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 same cellular mechanisms that are important in these devastating uh diseases of the aged brain alzheimer's for example um, are shared mechanisms with the aging process. So I mentioned you know, a few moments ago the accumulation of dysfunctional mitochondria. So, so that is a well-documented cellular hallmark of aging. It's also linked to the diseases of the aging brain, Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease. Another major compo- cellular hallmark of aging is the accumulation of aggregated or misfolded proteins. And that also is not only a, a hallmark of aging, it's a hallmark of Alzheimer's disease. It's a hallmark of several neurodegenerative diseases. So I remain optimistic that interventions that we and others can discover that prevent the accumulation of dysfunctional mitochondria, interventions that prevent the accumulation of aggregated or misfolded proteins will be beneficial or will help delay the onset and progression of these neurodegenerative diseases. I think there's a lot of reasons for, for, for optimism there. And you mentioned uh,
1: fruit flies become more forgetful as they get older, and it's well documented. How do you measure that?
0: Yeah, so you can measure um, memory in, in fruit flies by uh, pairing something either positive or negative, something that they like or something they dislike with a specific odor, and then if it 's something they dislike, you can repeat the experiment with only the odor and see if they they act like they dislike it or or, or vice versa so it 's somewhat Pavlovian in its you know in, in, in its nature, and that um, it 's been known for maybe almost thirty five forty years now. Uh, that that flies can uh, remember, for example, a mild electric shock, and then you know, and if you pair that with an odor, th- they're going to associate that with with the negative stimulus.
1: It always it's endless fascination to me that fruit flies and, and nematode worms can be very very accurate models for for human beings. You wouldn't think it, but they can be.
0: Yeah, no, no, I I, I hear I, I hear what you're saying, and I I, I think. It it will turn out that of course you can't model everything in an invertebrate model, but so far the the data has uh, has been extremely positive in terms of the interventions that were initially discovered in those model organisms turn out to be um, potential targets in 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 people and especially for neuromuscular diseases neuromuscular aging i think flies and worms seem to be really really terrific models
1: just as we close i often ask people this as you look at your own life and the progression of your life do you have aspirations as it applies to longevity and, and getting older you've described your your healthy lifestyle but is uh, your own longevity something that you give a lot of thought to still as a relatively young man
0: uh yes <laughs> i <laughs> yeah I quality of life is something that's incredibly important to me I love to read I love to think I love to learn I love to experience um I love to be you know one of the the things I look forward to is actually um you know going for a bicycle ride going for for a run um being physical being physically active and so yeah, the idea that these things would be taken away gradually or otherwise is not something <laughs> that I take lightly and something, and, and of course, I see it with my mother is in her mid-70s is still in, 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 good, in you know, good health. But again, you, you just don't want to see these things uh, slipping away. I'm, I'm a big believer in this is it. This is our life. And we have to make it con, and you know what makes us happy in our everyday life and in the longer term is really important. And, and for me, being mentally um, active and as importantly, physically active is, is incredibly, incredibly important to me.
1: And does living, I guess it does, living in Santa Monica, California probably helps in that respect. It's a question I, coming from the UK, I often get asked about the, just the the atmosphere and the you know, the encouragement sometimes that you get in a, a state like California to look after yourself.
0: I, I do think that um, can play a role for sure. Certainly, uh, the climate helps a lot. Being able to, you know, so the, the focus pre-pandemic where we can all, you know, go in you know as we choose, but. Um, the, the idea that you can be physically active outdoors almost any day, you know, through, throughout the year is really uh, appealing. And yeah, perhaps being sur- surrounded by, um, you know, living somewhere where it, it certainly looks to be where most people seem, you know, focused on living a healthy lifestyle can, can also sort of, you know, h- help as well.
1: Yeah. And before I sound, uh, or maybe even making you sound too smug about the fact that we're living in California and can do these things, clearly we can exercise, we can live healthy lifestyles anywhere else in the world. I think we perhaps are a little bit privileged and lucky to live in a a beautiful environment like this, but clearly it doesn't preclude exercise. It doesn't preclude a a healthy diet, I would argue, anywhere in the world.
0: Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I think um, we can all make uh, time no matter you know to do our best to you know focus on our own individual you know health i, I always see it as a way you're, you know you're not wasting time you're buying time you know future time hopefully
1: yeah i think that's a, a great way to finish this david fascinating conversation thank you very much indeed
0: thank you it was a really interesting to talk to you
1: and I will put into the show notes for this episode of the podcast a link to your, David, your website, your university website. If anyone wants to dig a little Pressure. deeper, you'll find that at our website, llamapodcast.com, double L-A-M-A podcastscom That's the Live Long and Master Ageing podcast website this is a healthspan media production if you enjoy what we do you can rate and review us at apple podcasts you can follow us in social media at llama podcast and you can direct message me at peter Bowes. do take care and many thanks for listening